Hello and welcome. Welcome to Forecast 100. They uh, didn't believe it could be done. They didn't think it should have been done. And also, I mean, knowing both of us and our work habits, it seemed like we just wouldn't do it from a practical (laughs) standpoint. It's true. But we did it, and we are coming off a incredible Forecast 100 party. Which was, came as a total surprise. With song and dance, and um, yeah, <laughs> so thanks for that. Terrible song and terrible dance, but we enjoyed it. Esther sang terrible song and terrible dance, but we played Dance Central 2 last night, and she was the only one to hit, or she's one of two people to hit almost a million points. I had passion, (laughs) and I said it on easy. It was pretty ridiculous. You won by like 600,000 points on that stage, so I guess that song. But yes, thank you to my coworkers for listening to my podcast without my knowledge and then planning a surprise party and then tricking me into attending really made us feel appreciated yeah and maybe a little shameful (laughs) this is what i'm doing with my life yeah but uh so yeah this is going to be a special anniversary thing it's going to be totally different from all the other forecasts because we're just going to ramble about stuff we like which we never do at any other point in time well we ramble about stuff but it's very rarely stuff we like. And we're highlighting what kept us coming back and talking about comics in incredibly whiny ways for (laughs) 100 forecasts. So it's just going to be the best concepts, best weird random ideas, best comic books in our experience. I'm going to start off with I loved the reboot of Superboy pounding time. Superboy Prime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beating on the walls of time. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. I especially liked that technically that's how Jason Todd came back and he came back in his coffin. Mm-hmm. Which means, given how much Superboy Prime could have punched, like millions of people could have come back in their coffins oh and died again. I, that went way more morbid than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still love that concept. Yeah, that is pretty good. I like how it turned into a... Uh, running joke almost yeah. like fans especially but also kind of in comics like just stuff would just happen and it would be it's Roy Prime time punch <laughs> that was the entire point what comic was that was that Infinite Crisis I believe that was Infinite yes oh man and now that I'm talking I can actually feel the pain from the karaoke from last night making my voice hurt but uh you injured yourself through karaoke I sang like 10 songs well I sang too. <laughs> I just didn't sing into the microphone like a big glory hog. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's, I have to be sang. the center of attention. And you didn't sing during Total Eclipse of the Heart. Because I was looking which, for more songs to sing. Which is where everyone went all out. I mean, that is by far the most taxing karaoke song. Bohemian Rhapsody is pretty bad. You didn't sing during that either. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm just a snob. I don't. I like the songs that no one else likes because it makes me feel special. All right. But uh, so something I like. I like how dumb comics can be or have been <laughs> because it leads to really easy and funny jokes amongst friends. <laughs> like last night. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. We're gonna have to do things we actually like. No, this is totally genuine. All right. Like, complete lack of irony. Uh huh. Uh, I don't think you can do that. Go on. Comet the Super Horse and the Supergirl thing <laughs> is one of the funniest things in comics. <laughs> and, like, granted, it's like a. Uh, we're so far removed from the origin that it just seems really gross and weird, you know? Oh! Oh! Oh, no. I would love. You, you know how we were talking a long time back about 
how Garth Ennis actually does people talking. Yeah. And very well, and he actually does pretty sweet love stories. Mm-hmm. You want him to write a comic, the Super Horse and Supergirl miniseries? Romance comic. That's insane. That's fantastic. <laughs> He's done worse series on a dare, so please, and I would definitely please let it. this happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It would even be a western, which is his other favorite thing, because it's a horse. <laughs> Actually, it's a horse that turns into a cowboy that then rides other horses, which is this really weird, yeah, questionable well, thing. That's the thing. It's they only really date as cowboy and supergirl yeah but he's actually a horse he's but not... she does ride him when he's a horse never knowing that he's a person which is super creepy on his part like this is why i like this so much because like as a kid you're like whatever he turned into a horse that's cool as an adult <laughs> you're like oh my goodness there's so much subtext here <laughs> and all of it terrible <laughs> But it's just one of those things where, like, thank goodness comics were for, for kids, so we have something to make fun of. Yeah. Because it's a really uh, fun aspect of reading comics. Because, <laughs> like, you're not going to read it. Well, actually, there's some Stephen King novels that are pretty questionable, I was going to say. I was going to say that, like, you don't read a Stephen King novel and look back like, ha, ah, ha, that was so quaint. But, like, it is really gross. But, yeah, thank goodness for dumbness. <laughs> It's totally genuine. All right. Not a drop of irony in that at all. Mm. <laughs> I sensed a few drops. <laughs> okay. Other comic I really enjoyed, and this is crazy obscure, but it's called Grim, and it's from Legends of the Dark Knight. Okay. And it is from the point of view of a Dick Grayson who just barely became uh, Robin. Mm-hmm. And it's this villain called Mother Grimm. Who oh, just like fairy tales. Yes. Okay. And she's just an old lady and she like goes and publicly paddles like executives for putting too violent stuff on TV. Yeah. And she has kids go around and she like takes in orphans and yeah and Dick Grayson is first adjusting to being Robin and Bruce Wayne is kind of like I don't know how to be a father and yeah Alfred's doing the go-between and they get estranged just for a change (laughs) (laughs) and Dick Grayson like runs off to Mother Grimm Mm -hmm. and discovers dark secrets and there's like this whole underground amusement park and it just keeps getting crazier and crazier like there's an evil win to Mother Grimm, who's like this super sexy evil lady with poison fingernails. Yeah. And... It's, I'm looking at the creative team, and it's actually pretty classic. J.M. DeMattis, who did uh, Justice League with Giffen. Trevor mm-hmm. Von Eden, who's a classic artist. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. The art is also really great. Yeah. And it's... You see, like... She captures Batman, and Batman's like in a playpen, and it's just crazy. She sounds, and I love it. Oh man, this actually made me think of two things that uh, two different things. But so this I found, or I googled Grimm and Legends of the Dark Knight and found a solicitation for it, and it says the boy wonder follows a street pickpocket right into the lair of the joyfully inane Mother Grimm. I guess someone left an S off insane. Yeah, <laughs> it sort of changes the tenor of the book a little. <laughs> But there's a... Uh, I just picture <laughs> Dick Grayson <laughs> later going to her lair and just being like, oh, this is so prosaic and dull. <laughs> there's uh, an X-Men villain who's kind of similar, and apparently I can't type because I can't pull up any images. But uh, have you ever heard of Nanny and the Orphan Maker? This no. was like the mid-80s X-Men. Uh, she was created by Walton Louise Simonson, who totally rules. 
and she's basically this giant egg thing and she's called the nanny and what she does is she punishes uh, children though in her case the children tend to be adults who she sees as children mm-hmm. and basically she kidnapped all the X-Men and then turned them into children <laughs> and it is the dumbest thing you'll ever read but so wonderful <laughs> In Orphan Makers, this giant, uh, it's a kid that she put into a, like, a man-sized robot to kidnap all the other kids. And her entire thing is, like, she's supposed to protect children, and she's going to do that by kidnapping them. And if they're not already children, turning them into children, and then just keeping them in playpens and things. (laughs) It's very strange. (laughs) And actually not the only time that the X-Men have been turned into kids. Or mind-controlled into thinking they were kids or whatever it was she was doing. Because there's also the X-Babies, which, here we go. This, this was also the 80s, that's tiny. But, uh, so there's an X-Men villain named Mojo, who is, I don't know, I guess he's like an evil, fat Rupert Murdoch who makes entertainment. Like, he runs a planet full of people who are obsessed with TV. Like, that's their currency and government and culture as they sit down and watch TV. So they're all big, gross, yellow, fat things with no spines <laughs> because their bodies have atrophied from watching all the TV and his thing is like he wants the best and brightest uh, programming like he wants to you know push ratings through the roof also everything is a ratings metaphor mm-hmm. or a showbiz metaphor on his world so he kidnaps the X-Men and then makes child clones of them and they're all uh, ugh, Wikipedia sucks this art is too small but they're just all really adorable versions of the X-Men we know and love, including Wolverine. And some <laughs> of them, uh, they have, like, baby talk. Others are just really, like, they have, they're full of attitude, I guess is the right <laughs> word. <laughs> but it's just one of those things that, like, I read about it as a kid, and it's totally stupid, but it's also totally great. And they keep popping up, like, off and on every once in a while. When someone remembers they exist and can mm-hmm. get a good joke out of it, they'll show up. Okay, um, the proved me wrong, Okay, uh, and it, it rarely happens because <laughs> I am so spot on yeah. in my insights for what would work as a comic constantly, but <laughs> it turns out one of my favorite characters now mm-hmm. is Damien. Wow. And I remember at one point you were like, you know, I hate for kids to die in comics, but if he died, I'd be okay. No, I said I just wanted him gone. Oh, okay. Like, he never was. <laughs> Blasted into smithereens, then. But the Batman and Robin dynamic, which is in two of the, like, ten Bat books, but I don't... I, I can't focus on which ones they are. Mm-hmm. They're not detective. But two other ones. Uh, Batman and Robin and... Possibly Batman just Inc. Batman. Yeah, maybe it's just Batman. Wait, I thought they were bringing back Batman Inc. for the... Um, oh, that's right. There was a one-shot of, like, the last issue that they didn't bother to publish before. Yeah. The reboot. With uh, Stephanie, but she's redrawn a spoiler. Yeah. Cameron Stewart's going to draw that issue. It looks pretty good. Hmm. Anywho. Yes. <laughs> um... I just love the dynamic because for so long it was you, kid, who's sweet and nice and trying your absolute best. You're not suited for Robin. And that's just so tiring. (laughs) What do you have against elitism? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, they're always proved wrong. Yeah. And I felt like it was a rigged story. Like How so? Well, they were going along the lines of Batman is perfect, so he's always right. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have to be proved wrong. Okay. Um, and now it's just like Bruce saying, good job. Da- or your performance was commendable, Damien, and Alfred saying, oh, okay, <laughs> you say I'm proud of you. You say you're, 
you're a good son or something. Come on, get get in the game, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I can show more emotion than you, and I'm British. And, <laughs> and um, Tim and Dick just being like, oh, Damien, you and your ways. <laughs> That's and like nugging his head, yeah. And um, and Bruce's solution to everything just is to go out and get a dog, <laughs> because that's what happy families have, I guess. Yeah. It's just he turned it into a great dynamic with everyone. Interesting. So he was like, uh, so do you think that the he's like an that- actual child, <laughs> as as Robin. <laughs> Do you think that the Bat family was kind of... I don't want to say stagnant, because that's not really what I mean, but it's pretty close. Like, maybe just static. Kind of, like, treading water before he got there? I think it was the overall... I think a lot of it was uh, Grant Morrison and his deliberate shift to stop making Bruce Wayne um, Millery. Yeah. And I thought every, almost every interaction that Batman was shown having in the last, oh, ten years could be summed up as Miller, like, good soldier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's true. And that's enough. And it it's done enough. And if that's what you show, like, he's harsh once in a book and then he's also really good once in a book, like, nice yeah. to them once in a book... That's an interesting dynamic, but if he's harsh for like six years, mm-hmm. and then every now and again he says, "Yeah, you did okay" or something, it's like that was then kid. he's a jerk, and and Damien and that whole oh, it's tiny little you. <laughs> Sorry, he typed I'm in for his a picture for the next a thing picture. I want to talk about. Um, there are now pictures of both of us dancing, oh, taken yeah. entirely from behind and butt level. <laughs> so, if you want a reason why neither of us will be president now, <laughs> it's going to be those. <laughs> Someone's going to come forward. Anyway, um, but yeah, that whole dynamic with Damien coming in and just being the bratty kid mm-hmm. and forcing everyone to treat him as a bratty kid like you can't be like you kid my actual son Mm -hmm. you're being annoying so get out of my life forever (laughs) well you can but then that would be pretty much irredeemable forever yeah yeah jeez so it's kind of forcing Batman into being an actual decent person Mm -hmm. which is a good change I agree. And forcing the rest of the family to relate to each other as family instead of as this mass of, like, backstory trauma. Did so, Dick, did your girlfriend die and you lose your mind and become a mafioso and now you're back, but then you were shot in the leg and then you were shot in the chest? Yes. So, Tim, did right, your... He lost, like, his two moms and a dad. Yeah. Did your mother die, and then your father was in a wheelchair, but and but then he got better, but then he, he lost all his money and withdrew from the family, and then he got better again, but then he got found out that you were Robin and threatened Bruce with a gun, and because <laughs> um, that's what you do to Batman. Yeah, and then got a boomerang through the chest and like the least dignified death. <laughs> No, they've had worse, less dignified deaths. Yeah, I was going to say. Anyone who's been killed by the Mad Hatter, I would say, had it worse. <laughs> um, you know, before it was just, there was just so much misery. Yeah. And now it's just, oh, you, come here, yeah. <laughs> it's just enough, att- just enough sitcom to uh, keep things fresh. Yes. Yeah. I was I can't find it for some reason, but uh, I have a couple of favorite Batman moments that are both from the same book. Did you read uh, Batman City of Crime by David Lapham and Ramon Box? I think I did. It was, that was the story little... that was interrupted by the War Games sequel that no one asked for. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's I think that Laugham has two scenes in there that are so quintessentially Batman that they just completely blew my mind. Okay. Uh, one is that like Batman spent the middle half of the story getting beaten up by construction workers and being like half mind controlled. And he finally gets his mojo back and puts on the costume. And he's going back to doing the Batman thing of hanging people off roofs and all that. Mm-hmm. Roofs. That's not the plural of roofs. Mm. Yeah, I should work on that. But, Reuven. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but there are all these thugs that he runs up on in a uh, apartment stairwell. And it's mm-hmm. like the creaky old school, like wooden rails and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, oh, it's Batman, we're going to kill him. Then basically he ambushes them, and he just starts wailing on them. (laughs) And and one guy is like, you know, Batman, it wasn't our idea. idea. We didn't know about the girl. You know, uh, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go clean. Like, just give me a pass this time. And you just see, like, you can see Batman's eyes, but no mouth. It's just completely black. And he's saying, yes, that's what I do. I give passes as he's walking towards this guy. (laughs) Totally scary Batman moment. Because when he drops down, like, from wherever he was, like, he pushes one guy over the railing, but also quietly, like, tight hooks a line around his leg so he's hanging, like, four floors down instead of dying. Mm-hmm. So, you, like, you totally get that, like, Batman is a force of nature, and this is how he keeps his rep. But the other moment, and, like, honestly, it's got to be, like, a top two Batman moment, if not top one, is uh, he's looking for information on a girl who disappeared or something like that. And so he goes to this bar where he knows that people hang out, like mm-hmm. goons and this sort of thing. And the bartender's crooked. And in one panel, the, bartend- the bar is full of people. They're all talking trash, like blah, 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 and so-and-so with blah, blah, blah last night. And then on the next panel, the bar- like the bartender's saying, like, ha, ha, I got a joke, guys, check this out. You know, a rabbi, a priest, and something walks into a bar. And then the bar goes black. And then he looks around like, what? And no one is in the bar. And Batman is behind him. Between, like, in the split second, somehow, Batman empties out a bar <laughs> just to scare this guy so bad that he craps his pants. <laughs> like, I like a Batman where there's... I'm okay with there being a little bit of magic in what he does, mm-hmm. just because it makes for really great scenes like that. And, like, the way it's laid out... Yeah, is you gotta the, kind of give him points for style. Yeah, exactly. The theatrics really makes it work. Because, like, it's impossible. Even more impossible than a guy surviving dressing up as a bat. Mm-hmm. But it looks so cool on the page <laughs> that it's just... Like, you get why people like Batman so much. It's just this nice edge of theatrics and, I guess, brutality is probably the best way to put it. But it's all things like that, like the cool moments that characters like Batman get. Like, Spider-Man doesn't really get a lot of, uh, like, typically hardcore yeah. things like that. He's You know, he's too happy-go-lucky. It's all Wolverine and Batman that gets those. But Superman, actually, is really interesting when he finally gets to the point where he has to do, like, the hard-faced Batman thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, it's been a bit overused in, like, the past six or seven years. Pretty much ever since uh, DC started overusing the glowing red eyes. And, yeah. Like, but at one point, like, when you would see Superman and he would just have a flat face and just red eyes, it would be a big deal. And I sort of miss those days, too. Gonna have to do something other than that. Yeah. It's... They actually change how they do his eyes now. He has more of a... uh, It's like the red light's leaking as opposed to burning. Mm -hmm. And it's all like Photoshop effects. It looks really cool now. But again, it's on like every cover of Justice League. So it's kind of (laughs) pointless. (laughs) Like. What we like. No, I totally like. Like, Of course I went into that big, long, oh, Batman was a jerk complaint. (laughs) We can't do it. Sorry. We tried, people. Okay, many faces of Batman. One thing I liked, I think it was another Legends of the Dark Knight, or Mm -hmm. I don't know how far back it was. Maybe it was one of those when they were still pretty episodic, Mm -hmm. like in the 70s, 80s. And it was just like three cops talking about stories Mm -hmm. that they saw Batman, like their I Saw Batman stories. And one was like, I forget what it was. It was like a detective. Batman gave us clues and it guided us through uh, something or other mm-hmm. um, mystery. And then the next was just a straight up hostage situation. 
with two gunmen at a diner. Mm-hmm. And one guy has his gun to like an old woman's head. And he's like, oh, you listen to me. You're going to back off because if you don't, I'll kill her. Yeah. And he's like, and Batman said, no, you're not going to kill her because if you do, you have nothing between me and you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and I'm going to come after you and I'm going to take you away and I'm going to, like, torture you and the pain will last forever because I won't let you die <laughs> <laughs> and the art was all like yeah. super <laughs> focus on his face and the guy just drops his gun and goes away yeah. and then the last guy was like well I happened to see Batman while I was following this small kid who was lost on the street and he started running away from both of us and he ran and ran and finally he got to like a cardboard box and it's and we looked in the box and there was his sister and they had both been living on the street because it wasn't right the the adoption agency wanted to um, break split them up and they wanted to stay a family and the kid picked up a stick and was like swinging at Batman being like you stay away Mm -hmm. and I was worried for the kids because Batman is scary and finally he crouched down and got their story and wiped a tear away and like hugged (laughs) them (laughs) he has a little squeeze bottle in his cowl just in case he needs to be soft And and hugged them and said, "We're going to figure this out. Do you have any other family?" And and finally, they went with a good social worker or something. And the other the cops were like, "No, Batman (laughs) would never do that. Batman is uh, stone cold, you know." And it ended with Wayne Manor. With Bruce Wayne, like, checking in on the kids and Alfred being like, you know, Bruce, they're just fine. They were fine the last five times you checked on them. Also, you've trained them to fight and kill. Like, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? They're going to get kidnapped? Come well, they on. were, like, both six or seven years old. Oh, so not he wasn't checking on the Robins? No. Oh, okay. It was, it was the two little kids. Okay, that makes more sense. That somehow ended up... Sleeping at Wayne Manor? I don't know. <laughs> They're like, well, he already has four other kids. Might as well give him some more. <laughs> He's got the space for it. And I remember thinking, I like nice Batman, but that's too much even for me. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it was awesome because it was just... Pile it all on. Yeah. Just go, just go for the crazy in all these stories. That is great. And speaking of crazy, um, so Superman died on my birthday in the 90s. Uh, it was either... That must have been so traumatic. It's, I found out about it on the news, and I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I have to read this story. And I ended up, like, Superman, the death of Superman is still one of my favorite comic stories. Mm-hmm. Just because of how it all rolls out, and also the birthday. I'm super narcissistic in really stupid ways. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, like, I ended up getting the novelization as a kid, which is, like, 600 pages long. <laughs> like, Your it's a Stephen like, King well, size break. He's reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to get in trouble for reading. It was terrible. I'd read too much. But, uh, like, even the story, I like how, like, events nowadays are, like, there's all this crazy buildup. And then, like, the threat comes, and it's, like, not as bad as you thought it would be, you know? Like, the hype is more than the... Uh, Execution, Yeah. But with this one, like, I just came into it with the trade that Superman, uh, Death of Superman, and it opens with Doomsday, like, you know, pounding on a wall and eventually breaking out. And that's all the buildup that I got for the story. And mm-hmm. then the rest of it was just Doomsday beating up all these people I'd never seen before in my entire life. <laughs> and then killing Superman. And, like, it did a really good job of setting up the stakes. Mm-hmm. And then, like, who did I, I, didn't, I don't think I even knew anyone that was on the JLA at that point. Because mm-hmm. it was, like, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold. Uh, it was Martian Manhunter, but he was the black guy. Bloodwind. 
a mystery that I didn't find out about until like 10 or 15 years later <laughs> when I looked them up on Wikipedia. Uh, Fire was there, Ice was there, Guy Gardner was there with the yellow ring. Like, mm-hmm. it's total total throwback DC Comics sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, I was basically only reading Marvel, so I was just completely lost for the characters, but they all seemed kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And seeing this crazy rock guy beat all of them up, and all of them, like, panicking, and then Superman showing up, and him getting beaten up. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone knows Superman is the strongest. You know, even if you don't read comic books, you know, like, that's his entire gimmick. Mm-hmm. So it was a really... I don't want to say powerful because that's way overselling it but like as a kid it was stunning like you i actually thought like holy crap he's actually dead and then he came back to life in another story that i like a lot but you know <laughs> but there's this good bit where but it wasn't on your birthday so yeah exactly <laughs> like it, it would have been a 10 out of 10 and said it was a 5 out of 10 because it wasn't <laughs> on my birthday <laughs> but there's this bit uh what happens doomsday either throws or punches booster gold like into the atmosphere and superman catches him in midair like you know way high up and booster's like you know superman like we can't do this we're we're totally screwed doomsday is here and it was the big you know say the name of the villain moment or whatever but just the execution was really really good even when i've gone back and reread it like i still enjoy it about as much as i did the first time because it's just such a bombastic comic (laughs) like it's not trying to set up anything in the future it's just like here's superman he's gonna fight a super strong dude and at the end they both die and that makes it sound really morbid you know (laughs) but like the the way they did it it wasn't as depressing as it could have been and said it was more like a uh pyrrhic victory or an actual triumph you know (laughs) and that's something that like definitely helped me like comics a lot more you know And also it led to the really great joke in Infinite Crisis when Batman was like, uh, Superman, you haven't inspired anybody since the day you died. And Superman's like, oh, he's right. But that's me being me, so. (laughs) With Batman being a jerk. Yeah, it's the best type of Batman. What else do you have? What else have I got? Okay, switching over to Marvel. All right. I'm still loving the Jason Aaron's Punisher. Oh, okay. Punisher Max. It's he's uh homeless. No, he's not homeless now because he's living in his old house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's squatting. Yeah. Yeah. He's squatting. I mean, technically, I don't think he gave up the rights to the house. I mean, I think they bought the house, so it's technically his, still his house. I've, Can you be squatting in your own house? Wouldn't the government have reclaimed it at some point, like in the name of punishing the Punisher? Justice. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I'm behind on it, but so what's the what's the, what keeps you hooked on it? I like that it actually goes into the Punisher's past, and I like that it's actually about characterization and not mm-hmm. just two people fighting until they both die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like how every week we prove that we're completely unsuited to each other, taste wise. And what's weird is that when we like the things that we would think the other person would like it for some reason we both hate it <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense well hate's too strong a word but you know what I mean like that doesn't make any sense to me and I kind of I kind of want at this point given this particular look at the Punisher mm-hmm. I kind of want something that goes back to when he met his wife and how he got married in the first place yeah because, oh, you know, I've, I can't think of any story that did that. Yeah, I mean, almost every story has been kind of post-traumatized, and even the the one that went all the way back to his childhood. The tiger, yeah, that one was great. Yeah, where someone, um, they're like this mobster who mobster's son who rapes girls in his neighborhood yeah and and frank who's at this point 10 or 12 yeah he's very young he's uh middle school age i think because he was old enough to like go into the city into museums by himself but finally realizes that no one else is going to do something so he gets his dad's gun 
and goes to shoot the mobster at 12. Yeah. And there are other scenes where you can tell he's like this one girl, the the girls who get raped are in kind of a really bad place because it's Oh yeah, I think, I think it's she like the 60s. Herself. Two of them killed themselves. Yeah. It was uh 50s. It was after World War II. And and not everyone kind of blames them. So one girl just walks into traffic and everyone else like looks away and Frank is just looking at it. Yeah. Not in a serial killer way, but in a like this okay. needs to be witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. It's though in At 10. He didn't actually kill the guy though. But it's no, he, he got the, old, the girl's older brother. The girl's older brother comes and not only like like punches him out and drags him to an open grave. Yeah. And <laughs> pushes him in the grave and then puts gasoline on him <laughs> and then burns him alive and then buries him. And the tiger in the title is a reference to uh, the poem. Yeah, William Blake's yeah. Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. Um, yeah. I like that. I actually like that story a lot. That has uh, so it's similar to like my favorite Batman scenes. That has one of my favorite Punisher scenes, and uh, it's the framing sequence for that one is the Punisher on his first hit, like he's on a rooftop, and this gonna be the first person he kills as the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And there's something like he thinks back to the first time, uh, like he really witnessed violence, and it's the story of the girls and this guy burning alive. But then after the story finishes, there's this blank page of just dialogue. And it's what the paramedics were saying uh, on the day his family was shot in the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's also saying a few things like, you know, like, where's my wife? Where's my daughter? And the paramedics are like, you know, the, she's going to be okay. Everything, everyone's fine. Just, you know, hold on when each thoughts, but everything's going to be okay. And then you see like a different voice, like smaller, like he's whispering. He's like, you know, I can't believe we have to lie to this guy. Like his family's totally dead. <laughs> and saddest thing there's no art on the page it's just completely black just word balloons Mm -hmm. saddest thing in the world but totally appropriate for like for Ennis's take on the Punisher was that Ennis? yeah I think Russ Heath drew it maybe it was one of those classic western war guys anyway I kind of I like At this point in The Punisher, I feel like it's gutsiest to show his human side. Yeah. And and what gets to him and where he falls down. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually, it doesn't even have to be that. It's just him caring about something. Because so much of the, the his history is just... I got shot 12 times, it stings a little, or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or this other character making this huge impassioned speech and him being like, huh. Yeah. Pick up a gun, let's get going. He's been the hard-boiled Dirty Harry for so long. Yeah. (laughs) And like, that has its merits, but it has its limits as well. Yeah, finding a way of dealing with who he is as a person. It's really impressive to me. Yeah. And Take so I kind of like... I, Aaron does that mm-hmm. in that how his life was kind of falling apart. And he was making it fall apart. Mm-hmm. But he was making it fall apart because he was disengaged. Yeah. So I'd like to see maybe the one time where he was engaged <laughs> with something. I was, uh, you made me remember a different Punisher story. It was in uh, Amazing Spider-Man back when they were doing like the three times a month thing. Mm-hmm. I can't, what was the name of this one? The trade paperback was called Crime and Punishment. I've got no. a <laughs> It was just a one-shot story. Uh, like, it starts... It starts Spider-Man, so he's on most of the pages. He's, like, trying to learn how to drive because he lives in New York, so he doesn't have to drive. <laughs> he's really bad at it. <laughs> and he bumps into Frank Castle on the street, who, like, as you can kind of see here, is drawn, like, as, like, a gross child molester-looking guy. Like, just gritty and broad and ugly. And so he follows him. See, I don't picture that as a child molester-looking guy. But go on. <laughs> We, we can Google child molesters later. Oh, and God. <laughs> Thank you. Go on. So Spider-Man follows him back to, like, his warehouse or whatever, and Punisher is uh, watching a video, 
and there's some kind of crazy atrocity on the video, and Punisher's like, well, I'm going to kill all these people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, someone has some gas, and it makes people go crazy and kill other people, and he's like, oh, yeah, I gotta gotta put a stop to this. And Spider-Man shows up, and Punisher's like, oh, great. You know, because they had this old relationship. Like, Punisher started out as a Spider-Man villain years and years ago. And it's half Punisher being just completely exasperated to Spider-Man <laughs> and the other half Spider-Man being like you know we don't like each other but I'm going to tell you this anyway and Punisher just quietly puts in earplugs and starts humming and then activates like this giant sound bomb <laughs> and knocks them out <laughs> like it's a good look at a less serious Punisher like he's still gonna he's still killing people and he kills people throughout the book <laughs> But it's a little... Fu- it's like, it's just funny enough. But it's also still a Punisher story. Uh, that is great. When yeah. when um, creators find a way to get humor out yeah. of characters that doesn't undermine them. It was even... Uh, so he has a little capsule. In fact, I think actually the issue begins with him... Like, uh, he has a remote control robot that he drives into a mobster party. Mm-hmm. Shoots it up and the robot explodes. And he has a skull painted on the robot. (laughs) But he has this little capsule that makes people go crazy, but it makes them super strong. And he gets uh, captured by the bad guys. And so he swallows one of Spider-Man's spider tracers because just in case he needs help, he knows Spider-Man will come. (laughs) And as the bad guy's sitting there talking to him, lecturing him, like, blah, 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 you know, you're really messing up my business, mobster, mobster, mobster. Actually, it's Moses Magnum, so it was like, arm sealer, arm sealer, arm sealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Punish- you see Punisher kind of rolling a little ball around in his hands, and there's a needle on the end. He has it at his wrist while it's behind his back. Mm-hmm. And then he stops, and he just breaks it. And later, him and Spider-Man are talking, and, they're, and Spider-Man's like, hey, how did you know that I would rescue in time? You know, if you had that stuff, why didn't you use it? And Punisher's like, you know, I don't need this rage that's inside me to get any worse, or something typically Punisher. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, okay, well... Thanks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and but Spider-Man, he's also like he feels like he has to take the Punisher out in a way, like get him arrested. So Punisher is like, well, no. So he shoots the bad guy in the stomach and is like, that guy's got twenty minutes to get to a hospital. Hops on a boat and leaves. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, crap. <laughs> so he has to drive this giant yacht to the city and then somehow get this guy to a hospital to save his life. <laughs> And it sounds like it's all people being shot and beaten up, but it's so great. <laughs> like, one of the most genuinely funny issues of Spider-Man in years. <laughs> okay, you know what I, like, that kind of reminded me of? Yeah. Is All-Star Superman, which everyone agrees is fantastic. Yeah. It's the uh, Lois Lane in the Fortress of Solitude issue oh, going of crazy. that where she's going cra- but also all the offhand humor yeah where it's just like oh this guy oh i found him alone in space he's an <laughs> orphaned baby sun eater yeah and it, the poor little guy was going to be starving i had to bring him back <laughs> and he is like he makes stars yes, with he the makes hammer and the anvil <laughs> suns and like feeds it to it like chicken feed yeah <laughs> And um, and just the various robots and him being like, this is the menu that they served on the Titanic. Yeah. They cooked it for you. <laughs> and aren't they eating it on the Titanic? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I love... Like, thank goodness superheroes were kids' fair for so long because there's all these wonderful things that adults yeah. would usually reject if it wasn't already established. Yeah. Because a super dog, that is a stupid idea. But because it's always been there, like, we're more able to uh, accept it. Like, yeah. It's just part of the uh, patchwork quilt that is Superman. Like, you can't see Dirty Harry with, like, you know, his dirty dog. Dirty <laughs> <hound>. <laughs> like, it would just be really weird. Yeah. But boxing glove arrows, totally cool. Well, also... Um... The influence of manga, yeah, which I technically hate. I feel like it's it's um, it's like putting onion juice in your eyes, only in art form. Oh, man. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Who would like my home address now? 
Um, but coming over with that are chibis. Mm-hmm. And one issue, or a couple of story arcs of Superman, Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were just the Chibi Justice League and the Chibi Injustice League. Mm-hmm. With little Chibi Two-Face with, like, cake smashed on one half of his face. <laughs> oh, that's right. And uh, Batman's parents were pushed over. Yes. To kill. They were pushed in the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought, this is so fantastic. And you've got all these different, like, hundreds of years of accumulated history of all these different things going into it. And you can make use of any of it. That is, like, normally, uh, like, I think a lot of the ways that people use continuity sort of sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, when it's, excuse me. A street jacket. Yeah. Or, or if they use it, it's just, like, a way for the reader to go, like, oh, I know what that is. This mm-hmm. makes me feel better about liking this bad comic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but just having all that history there means that, like, there's, it's such a rich history, mm-hmm. even as dumb as it, can, as it can be sometimes. Especially as dumb as it can be sometimes. Especially as dumb. Like, it, you can I, make I some really, really great comics. Refurbish concepts that I would never have imagined could be any like good. Like Lord Deathman in uh, Batman Inc. in that first story arc. Yeah, like he's from uh, the forties or fifties. He's ancient, and he's been filtered through Japan and then through Morrison, and then into Batman again, which is sort of an interesting <laughs> uh, path, I guess. Or, I loved the. I kind of love the Deathstroke arc. Mm-hmm. Where he starts out in Teen Titans and then became massively popular in the 90s. And then he went over with the Teen Titans on the um, the television series and became yeah. this totally different guy. And then, like, this semi-mystical, random, roaming Japanese man. Really? I think he was. Oh, I completely. I've read maybe six Deathstroke. Or maybe that ever. was one of his um, disguises. Okay. And then came back into comics this year. Now it has his own series, and it's completely different. And it's kind of like the old timer school and the kids. Yeah, I was. I kind of feel like he's a little bit like evil Nick Fury. Yeah, for the totally DC. could be, yeah. Because he's just like, ah, kids these days. And he's just got one eye. I have no patience for these people. <laughs> yeah. Some, <laughs> who was telling me about the Deathstroke series? Maybe it was Gavin. But he was like, look, just read the first one or the second one or something. And it's one of those ones that starts out with like the cool moment that's supposed to establish the hero. Then they keep stacking moments on moments. Oh, yeah. And it ends like, up with, like, this huge blow-up thing at the airport. Yeah. And he's like, and that's why you should hire me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's almost... Nothing succeeds like excess, you know? Yes. <laughs> and this is so excessive. Yeah. I mean... When I first came in, every Batman comic was an interesting new thing. Yeah. And now I have almost every Batman comic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ridiculous amount. I have almost the entire Legends of the Dark Knight and Legends of the DCU and so many detectives. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just so many. And at this point, I just don't, I don't want another okay comic. Mm-hmm. Just not another one that's like, yeah, all right, it's it. a serviceable story. Yeah. And I know this kind of trip me up because if you try to make everything the biggest and the best, it's, it won't work. But it, it, there's some way that you need to like grab something and put everything into it, whether it is just like the bad kids fighting amongst themselves, like the Three Stooges, yeah, or the violence or the 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 ideals, like New Frontier. Mm-hmm. Was all about superheroes finding out what they believe in. And fighting the good fight, like actually, that was it. What well, is meant to say? Be the absolute best human being you can be, and and try to do what's right. And that was an incredibly infect- effective story because of it. I think I actually disagree that, like, I feel like if I read a mediocre comic, I wasted my money. 
you know, like if it's just average, then I could have been doing anything else and had just as good of a time without spending three or four dollars. And that's sort of uh, driven my purchasing habits. Like over, like I've made a real concerted effort. Like if I read something and I'm like, ah, oh, well, like it had Superman in it, then I just need to stop reading it. <laughs> and it's actually made me like comics a lot more because I'm looking for the good stuff. And when it pays off, it pays off big. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, you just want something that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I go to the comic shop, I think I'm only buying uh, three paper comics regularly. Like, the rest mm-hmm. are digital at this point. But it's um, Hellblazer with Peter Milligan and uh, Giuseppe Comancoli and a couple other guys. And Jeff Parker's run on Thunderbolts and the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And, like, three comics is not a lot. But somehow, every time I go to the comic shop, like, once a month, twice a month, I buy, like, three Jeff Parker comics because they come out so often. <laughs> like, Thunderbolts is, like, bi-weekly or something. It's crazy. <laughs> but, like, I sit down and read these, and it's, like, in, in a nice chunk, and it's always really satisfying. And actually, Thunderbolts is one of those things I really like about comics right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read any Thunderbolts? No. All right. Uh, imagine the Suicide Squad, kind of. Only okay. instead of like being, I guess actually it's totally different from Suicide Squad. All right. All right. So there are a bunch of villains in prison, mm-hmm. and they're being forced to be heroes in exchange for clemency at a later date. Mm-hmm. But it started out as a bunch of villains who, after all the heroes died in the '90s, were like, "Wait a minute, we can pretend to be heroes and make so much money, and then take over the world." <laughs> so the big twist of the first issue of Thunderbolts was that they were they, the Thunderbolts were re- revealed to be the masters of evil. Which includes, like, uh, Baron Zemo, who was the son of a Nazi at that point. And basically a Nazi himself. But now it's changed a little bit, so it's just, you know, villains learning to become heroes. Like, the ones who walk the line. Like, Catwoman, I think, would be long on the team. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, basically, they all decide... Like, half the team decides that they're tired of this. So they steal the headquarters to escape during a big crossover event. Mm -hmm. But they make a mistake in the calculations for the teleport and end up in 1944. (laughs) <laughs> in Germany and so it's villains teaming up with Captain America Namor and uh, I think the Human Torch is in it the original Human Torch fighting Nazis <laughs> and pretending to be heroes and it is so good <laughs> <laughs> where any of them were like damn I wish I'd studied more history yeah like they get there and they're like this is really weird like I, I don't detect any trend there's a couple of tech guys and you know mm-hmm. they're, it's general comic book tech so they can just do whatever because, just because they're like I don't detect anything and the radio waves are really weak and there's no internet and one guy's like oh no internet really where are we can you please figure this out where are my bars yeah they're like there's only retro stuff on the radio like baseball games you know <laughs> And then they finally realize, like, oh, wait, we're in the 40s, and those are Nazis coming over the hill with tanks. And, you know, everyone hates Nazis. Everyone does. Yeah. So when Captain America and them show up, uh, a couple of them can change forms. They change into more, like, super heroic-type uniforms. Uh, Moonstone, who is basically the really snooty blonde of the group, she turns into, like, this uh, USO dress and, like, you know, a nice hat and mask and a haircut. And she's like, we're the... uh, what does she say? Like, the American Thunderbolts, Captain America, really cheery. <laughs> and Cap is like, that's, that's very cool. Like, you guys did a great job with the Nazis, but uh, we do have to test you. And he asks, like, a Babe Ruth question. And one guy is like, I don't watch your stupid, you know, uh, American sports, because he's fake British. He's Mr. Hyde. <laughs> so he's like the bowler cap and everything. <laughs> and one of the tech guys is like, you know, good question, Cap, but it's a trick question. Babe Ruth retired with the Braves, not the Yankees. And Cap's like, ha-ha, good to see you, soldier. <laughs> like, it's just, it's delightful is the best way to put it. <laughs> And, like, the stakes are still super high. Uh, uh, the Red Skull and Zemo have, uh, like, basically stolen Human Torch's DNA, I think, and made their own versions. Mm-hmm. So, like, Namor goes into battle wearing just, like, underwear. And it's cold, but it's wet, so, like, he's okay. And then, like, he just crashes to the ground, like, covered in fire. And they're all like, oh, crap. And you turn the page, and it's just a sky full of torches. Ooh. Yeah. Like, it does that really nice job of walking the line of villains becoming heroes, but still being kind of like, ah, life was so much easier when I could just take stuff. 
and like them actually having to deal with threats. <laughs> but yeah, stuff like like that's a good use of history because all the people they're meeting in the forties, uh, like Namor especially, was totally different in the forties. Like he was still <laughs> arrogant, but he wasn't you know like yelling imperious Rex and then beating up his friends all the time. <laughs> But have you ever read any of like the old school Golden Age stuff? Like just in general? Really not. It's uh there are a, f- a lot of it's really bad. But there are a few like bright shining supernovas of incredible comics. <laughs> and almost entirely because I guess it was before the comics code or something or before the morals changed. Like the heroes would first kill a whole bunch of people. On purpose or by accident, you know, whichever. Mm-hmm. But they were also amazing douchebags to their villains. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the number one offender is the Spectre, whose whole thing is, you know, like, ironic deaths. Mm-hmm. And in the 40s, they were like, well, we want to scare kids away from, from you know, a life of crime, so let's make this as gruesome as we possibly can. So there's stuff like, these guys will rob a bank, and uh, they'll drive back to their hideout. And for some reason, the Spectre is standing on the roof of their car like this, like with his arms out, mm-hmm. and just laughing about what he's going to do to them. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they have no idea he's up there because he's a ghost or whatever. <laughs> and then they get back to their hideout, and they're turned into dollar bills and spent or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, people would just get thrown out of buildings, and the hero to go up, can't catch him, you know? <laughs> Batman was machine-gunning people. Yeah, and had, like... Like the purple gloves, which I think should come back, because those looked amazing. And would come through and just casually break someone's neck with a kick. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I did like the many panels of bondage jokes. Oh, man. From Wonder Woman. Yeah. Where she's like, you know, a good mistress can really teach girls something while, like, tying, (laughs) hog-tying a bunch of teenage girls and just being like, oh, God. Have you heard about the... How did no one see this? (laughs) What was... There's this one Wonder Woman story that blew my mind. It was still when uh, Marston was writing or whatever. Um, Like, Wonder Woman rescues some people, some women who are... I think it was like a thinly veiled sex slavery thing, but they like weren't sex slaves. They just got tied up a lot. <laughs> and the girls were like, you know, thanks for rescuing us, but like we're really used to being tied up and being slaves, and we don't know if we can adjust to American life. And oh, Wonder no. Woman is like, oh, don't worry. Uh, I'll take you to Paradise Island, where you will live with so-and-so, who, you, who will tie you up all the time and treat you just how you're used to. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> These girls worked in like a mine or something. <laughs> And this was for children. <laughs> it's uh, my friend, I think it was Chris Eckert was telling me about this. And he's like, you know, this is really skeevy, but like it's portrayed in a way that like it's totally not. <laughs> like it's a, a favor Wonder Woman is doing to these girls. Well, yeah. Also the, the Supergirl and the Super Horse thing. Yeah. <laughs> they just, they also hooked her up with her cousin yeah they also had this random she fell in love with this random boy from a different world and then it was like come home to me or with me to my world and then she got there and it turned out to be a girl (laughs) (laughs) but like the yellow sun changed their DNA or maybe they just like put on a certain Whoa. costume and like cropped their hair and wore a mask or something. Oh. And the girl's dad went up to the girl and was just like, when are you going to tell Supergirl that you're really female? <laughs> oh, sometime later, dad. <laughs> There's another, uh, crap, I can't remember her name. It's one of DC's older characters. But it's basically... I think it's a man that turns into a woman detective, but they have slightly different minds, and I think they're also in love with each other. That is fantastic. What? It's not Mystery, which is a great name for a mystery character. Crap. She was in the Trenchcoat Brigade, I think, which is a terrible name for a comic, but they sure did make it. It was well, John when Constantine. Was this? Oh, the Trenchcoat Brigade was like 2099. Because mm. Phantom Stranger, John Constantine, and like three other dudes wear trench coats. And they had, yeah. 
Uh, is it Mr. E? But yeah, it's just a totally insane idea. Okay, that one is really depressing, Mr. E. Maybe it's Dr. Occult. Oh, no, I guess not. I can't. I'm never going to remember the name of this character. Someone yeah. will write in. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those things where you're like, this was for kids? Like, <laughs> as an adult, this is really sort of weird because they're two different people and they have love lives and I don't understand how this works at all. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Oh, apparently, he conjured up Yellow Perry recently? That is a throwback. But, um... Jeez, yeah, cocks are so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> In the most respectful and forgiving definition of stupid, I guess. I was, uh... So when I was a kid, I liked X-Force a lot, the mm -hmm. Rob Liefeld comic. Because, you know, it was 1991, and like, Rob Liefeld comics was what you do. Mm -hmm. And it's been relaunched recently as the Uncanny X-Force, starring Wolverine, Psylocke, Archangel, Phantom X, and Deadpool. Mm -hmm. And I've loved Archangel ever since I was a kid, because he is one of the best-looking X-Men. Like, giant metal wings and blue skin, gray costume. And this new book is better than anything that has ever been called X-Force ever. Like, it's actually a good comic instead of, like, a really spectacular, like, spectacle-filled one. Mm -hmm. uh, like, the story is good. Basically, the hook for the first story arc is, like, they're getting together to kill Apocalypse, who's, like, one of the worst mutant villains ever. And then, like, they build up this crazy amount of dread, like, they hint at all the things he's done. And then on the last page of the first issue, you find out that Apocalypse is a child because he's been reborn into a new body. And the kid mm -hmm. has no memory of being Apocalypse there. Uh, Apocalypse's minions are training him and being like, you know, here's how you know mutant supremacy works. Human beings are crap. Kill the X-Men. He's like, I, I don't know if I want to kill anybody. I'm just a kid. <laughs> and so the end of the first story arc is them busting into a room ready to kill Apocalypse being like, oh crap. He's just a child and that kid is like five years old. I don't know if we can do this. And uh, like just the conversation and the outcome of that fight and everything is just totally great. I'm flipping to the end. I can spoil it for you. Okay. Uh, one of them shoots the kid in the head, basically, and the kid dies. It, like, they're having this whole conversation in this fight, and one guy, or Archangel's like, you know, Archangel's actually created by Apocalypse, so it's this torturous thing. And he goes to kill him, and he's like, you know, I can't, I can't do this, it's just a child, I'm sorry. And then Phantom X just shoots the kid in the head and walks over and closes his, closes his eyes. And then they leave and no one says a word for the rest of the entire issue. Wait, doesn't he get reborn? Apocalypse? Yeah. Yeah, later. As Archangel, actually. So, if he keeps getting reborn, what's the point in killing him? Maybe he'll stay dead this time? Like, the whole goal is to kill Apocalypse once and for all. And, like, they didn't know that he'd been reborn until the beginning of this first story arc, but Archangel, because he was so, uh, I guess, connected, he keeps feelers out, he keeps people looking for signs. Then he finally finds signs, and he's like, well, we're going to cut this off at the pass and just do it now, but wait, we're not going to wait until he gets, like, his next Doomsday device ready. Couldn't they just take him home and be like, mutants are good, humans That's what are someone good. suggested. That was part of the conversation at the end. And then <laughs> someone, and then the character just makes the decision for them, and then they just have to leave. But what was nice is that it's not just like, yay, we won. It's like, we're actually monsters. <laughs> like, there's actually uh, payoff, or consequences for what they did. And no one really walks away from it feeling like, you know, we did the right thing. And there's several conversations about it and that kind of thing. Because like, I feel like too often in comics, like the good guy wins the day, mm -hmm. and then everything's fine after that. But I like, like that about comics. <laughs> I it's you don't want to overuse consequences, but like if Superman just got to a giant battle with Lex Luthor and a giant robot, and they were knocking over buildings and stuff. Like I feel like you need to at least nod in that direction, in a way. Like, you don't need to say, like, oh, and uh, 20,000 people died, but Lex Luthor's in jail, so everything's okay. <laughs> you know, at least, like, has Superman look sort of sad, like, you know, I could have done a lot better, or thinking of ways to beat Luthor quicker or something, you know. 
like it shouldn't be quite so episodic like once the episode's over you just forget about it like no like kind of stretch things out a little more have some fun subplots (laughs) (laughs) all right so comics good yes Stop it, no 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 stop it,